Here we go. Matt, everybody, where we discuss our theories, expectations, and reviews on movies, video games, and all the jazz in between. And we are on two of our six part mini series on Lord of the Rings and whether it is the greatest trilogy of all time. I'm Davis. And I'm Harrison. And we're back once again. How are you doing, Harrison? I'm doing pretty good. Let's get into Lord of the Rings. I am a serpent of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Arnor. The dark fire will not avail you. Flame of Udun, go back to the shadow. First thing um, that I wrote down was actually that I really appreciated the extended version that we got a taste of like what Aragorn's background was like. Do you remember when they were talking about Aragorn's mother and like why she like dropped him off at Rivendell and mm-hmm. stuff? I thought that was actually kind of cool. I never even realized that before. She had like gone and hid him away. Like I never realized, I never knew before how he got separated from Gondor and stuff. Was that in part one? No, it was in part two. Oh. I can't remember who it was who brought... I, I guess it was Arwen. No, it was Elrond. Oh, it was Elrond? Yeah. The, I liked when they were discussing how, like, your mother knew that you were going to be hunted for the rest of your life or whatever. And, like, this would be, like, a safe place for Yeah, you. it gives some good backstory cool. on how he met Arwen and everything. Um, yeah, I, th- I appreciated that because Aragorn is one of my favorite characters. Ever. So, like, seeing, like, some backstory. I'm sure there's more in the books, too. I need to finish those, but... Yeah, so I thought that was cool. And I, f- I liked being able to be in Rivendell a little bit longer. Because we don't get in the original um, length of the movie. That is one thing I like about the extended Rivendell. editions a lot better, is the pacing. It's like... And I totally understand it, because with a theatrical release, you gotta shorten it and make it, like it's pretty much all action <laughs> right but i enjoyed having um more extended slower moments with talking because like with the books I'll, most of the story is dialogue right so it's nice yeah. yeah so i i had also written down about rivendell um bilbo and frodo meeting again and it was really nice and heartfelt seeing bilbo how like happy he is and how great his life is without the ring in his pocket yeah. all the time it all it he reminded was... me of like a drug addict honestly yeah. <laughs> like when he saw the ring again after frodo brings it to him because remember in the movies you don't really get a, a sense of this but it has been years and years since frodo has seen him in the books it makes it seem like it's oh, been maybe a couple yeah, that's months right in reality it's been like eight years yeah 
So that's, that's why he's like, oh, my old ring. Yeah, and that he I aged used to so have. much. Yeah, and he aged so much. Um, right. <clears throat> it was such a happy... It, it, it was before, like, when I was watching it, like, every time I'd watch that scene where he kind of, like, loses himself for a minute, Bilbo, and he, like, gets the creepy face. Mm-hmm. And, like, I would always laugh at it. But this time around, I kind of felt sorrow and like i felt really bad for him and like it was just kind of like you were saying about the drug addiction it was like well, it, coming back it to him a little him bit because um he, he's always going to have that like you can you can never escape the grip it once had on you right like because when frodo talks at the end of the third movie about how like some wounds are too deep to heal he's partly talking about the stab wound from the nazgul but he's also talking about the ring's influence on him right um, so like e- anything that reminds him of it is painful. And I think that's true for Bilbo too. And it was so, it was so heartfelt and I, it made me really sad and feel really bad for Bilbo. when Bilbo had that moment when he, after his, mo- like his creepy face moment, when he starts crying and he's just like, yeah. I'm so sorry. I brought this on you. Like I should have never done this. And if I felt so bad, like it was a sad moment, like, and he feels so terrible about the ring and it ending up in Frodo and had Frodo having to deal with it now and like risking his life for it. And yeah, I, don't know. I really liked these added moments <clears throat> in Rivendell. I, I thought they were really important for the storytelling. And you, I don't, I don't know if this is in the theatrical release, but Arwen gives Aragorn like one last look before they head out. Right. Of, like I, looking I at each other. No, I don't that remember. definitely was not yeah. in the original. I thought that was good because it, it's like signifying potentially the last time they'll ever see each other. So, but they, they have to keep it formal because the elves are all about formality. Um, yeah. So after that, they get on the move. So this is now finally some of my favorite cinematography ever in a film uh, is finally getting into the action. The Fellowship leaves and we're finally starting to see some movement, some high paced stuff going on in the movie. Because before this, everything was very slow, kind of, except for like some scenes with the Nazgul's. But now we're finally starting to get into the good stuff. And uh, right out of the gate, leaving Rivendell, they just come out like I had written down. They have these epic landscape shots over uh, New Zealand with them just like running across the country. And it just like gives you a feeling of how massive Middle Earth is. And I just really appreciated those scenes. And it's just, oh, it's beautiful. I love it. It never gets old. I enjoy it just as much every time. Yeah, they're really great shots. And also, I don't remember him mentioning this before, but Gandalf mentions that they have to travel for 40 days in 40 nights for to get to Mordor no to get to the Misty Mountains or to get to the pass that they're trying to get through into Rohan oh the Gap of Rohan yeah they were gonna go through the Gap of Rohan originally and then 
because of all the orcs and yeah crows and spies and stuff they're like okay well we'll go through the mountains and then saruman brings the mountain down on them so they have to go through moria so not a ton happens in between the time where they leave um rivendell to where they make it to moria right one thing i did catch that i really liked is they're just starting to grow like a friendship like the like that bond that they have later you can start to see that kind of grow between boromir and the hobbits and stuff they're really close-knit group by the time that they have to like split up but yeah we should go ahead and get into the mines of moria because this is by far my favorite sequence in the movie and probably it, it it may be my one of my it's definitely one of my favorite sequences in the whole trilogy um one thing i wrote that i uh realizes like why gandalf was hiding the condition that moria was in from like the rest of the group and especially gimli like gimli had no idea about anything that had happened and he was like all excited well, about seeing neither did family. gandalf gandalf knew that the the Balrog had been awakened, or that he had it had been found. Yeah, but he didn't know the condition of the dwarves there. Yeah, I guess he didn't know. That and also, Gimli dead. Gimli didn't know because his cousin uh, was the one. Balin was the one who set off with like a little colony of dwarves to retake Moria. Okay, because uh, Moria had been ask... lost for hundreds and hundreds of years and so they went to retake it and he doesn't ever know what happened to them he just assumed they were successful yeah so their colony didn't build moria moria was no moria was already there that seemed like a lot of structures and stuff for just like a colony who had just recently been there like the uh like the mithril mines and everything yeah and the pillars but at the, uh, yeah, I like Moria a lot because it has a very, like, classic fantasy adventure, like, dungeon. Right. Straight out of d d <laughs> Right off um, the bat with the uh, the Watcher. Oh, yeah, that's something we needed to talk about because you're telling me some cool stuff about the Watcher. Like, the uh, people who don't know what the Watcher is, the uh, octopus monster thing that attacks them. Yeah, so when they're camping out in front of the entrance to the mine and they can't figure out the password, the little squid, or not little, the giant squid creature (laughs) that comes up is called the Watcher. And before knowing any of the context of it, it seemed kind of random. Like that there was just a massive octopus dude living in the lake. Especially in the original cut. But um, if you read the books, Gandalf sort of explains it a little bit where it's this ancient being from like primordial earth that lives super, super deep underground. And these cracks opened up uh, in the, the deeper reaches of the mines and allowed it to like swim up. So like it was able to swim up into that lake from deep below yeah i thought it was the only really warning we get from it before it just pops out is aragorn kind of just warning the hobbits to like don't disturb the water or whatever um i thought it was cool getting some extra info on that though 
Yeah, but they uh, during the course of the fight with that thing, they figure out the password. Well, they figure out the password right beforehand. Right, Frodo figures it out. Yeah, uh, which I would have thought Gandalf would be would be smart enough to <laughs> solve that, right? Anyway, Some, something I didn't get that we kind of talked about about while we were watching was the fact that the Dwarvish door, the password was in Elvish. Do you think that was just kind of a mistake made while filming? No, not at all. Why would it be in Elvish? I don't understand. Uh, hold on, I'm gonna look up exactly what it said. Because uh, Frodo was like, "What's the Elvish word for friend?" Oh, dude, the inscriptions were written by Celebrimbor on the door. Really? In yeah. Moria? That's actually really cool. It said because the dwarf language is secret, they wouldn't be inclined to write their language in a public place. So Moria was the boundary between the elf and dwarvish kingdoms, so they just used elvish. Interesting. Well, that makes sense, I guess. The gate that they passed through was originally created for the elves living in Moria to pass outside to the elven lands close by, although the dwarves manufactured the gate. Since it was primarily used by elves, the spell was cast on it by elves. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that, that does make sense, because you were saying uh, while we were watching, you were like, well, I guess it was just for, like, elvish friends trying to get in and out. Yeah. So anyway, they get the door yanked in on them by the squid boy. Right. Well, they they get in, and then, like, they're, uh, they were about to leave because they figured out it was a tomb, right? Well, that's when Gimli figures out that, um, yeah, that his the, the fate of his... Killed. His cousin's colony, and they were gonna turn around and leave, and then the uh, the squid guy blocked them off, so they just mm -hmm. ran back in. I think that they do a really good job in this movie of de depicting a uh, immenseness, an immenseness of the dwarven civilization, like right. how it takes them days and days to go through it and they don't see sunlight that whole time and like all these halls are just empty so like it clearly took thousands of years to like construct right this stuff it, it gave a really really foreboding feeling throughout the whole thing to have such a huge area completely empty and you yeah. know that like there are creatures somewhere in it you just don't know where right. i guess it makes sense uh, something I had wondered a while was like, how did the goblins not figure out they were there sooner? The place was so huge. Yeah, they it's like they made it through. Like, how are, how are you, noticed. if they're quiet, how are you ever going to know that they're in there? Because, right. like, it's until, so big. <laughs> until Pippin has his grand moment. Yeah. But when uh, Gimli runs into the room and discovers. Right. And I didn't know until. Later, like when I first saw these movies, I was like, "Oh, that's just like a dwarf that he knew of." But like, right, I I feel like the unfortunately, I feel like most people who aren't familiar at all with this world or just getting into it wouldn't really get it either. You know, there's not really a m much emotion there. It's a character that they've never seen who's been dead a long time. So I feel like there's not really a huge emotional connection in that scene. Yeah, but I I don't know. I always I always felt emotion with Gimli being so Gimli's upset about it so sad yeah and then pippin tries to touch a dead dwarf with armor on 
Uh, it falls into a tunnel, making a, a huge clashing sound. Everyone is very mad at him. Also, uh, I like how before that happened, Gandalf reads from the book. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, the, yeah, that was epic. Yeah, and he gives this really They're creepy coming. monologue about the dwarves' last things that they experienced. And he talks about drums really... in the deep, and then after Pippin knocks the thing in, you start hearing drums. Yeah, that was clever uh, writing on Peter Jackson's part, like giving that monologue right before it happens to them. Kind of like creates that eerie feeling even more. Um, and now we finally go into like some combat for the first time. Yeah, which is crazy. Much. After like two and a yeah. half hours of movie, you get one combat sequence. <laughs> well, you get more later, but yeah, no, I know. It, but it, like, it's pretty nuts. The closest uh, thing would be Aragorn fighting off the Nazgul, right? But it's pretty awesome though. It's just an absolute madness. There's like hundreds of goblins just swarming into that room, <laughs> and. There's like you can see like corpses just like piling up everywhere, and I've honestly the fact that like none of the hobbits died is kind of just completely out of nowhere. But I yeah, I mean, unlikely. I guess they're small, and like the orcs aren't okay. Here's one thing I'm confused about: the goblin and orcs thing. Yeah, I was so bring that in up the too. book, they're talking about goblins and. When they walk into Moria for the first time, Legolas picks up an arrow and says, Goblins. Right. Yes. And then... Uh, and then Frodo's sword well, glows. For, Frodo's sword glows with both goblins and orcs. Right, I but believe. then someone says... Yeah, orcs. someone says orcs. So, like, are there orcs or goblins or both? They have to be goblins. Because I think that's where they were going for, was goblins. Because the goblins in, the, in Moria... I mean, they, they look, don't look. They don't, they don't like, look like orcs. No, they don't. Especially the orcs in Isengard and stuff that we see in between these scenes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think they're going for goblins. That's how I watch the movie and how I portray it is that they are goblins. I guess it doesn't matter that much, but yeah, that always bothered me too. Well, it, it didn't <laughs> like really this. bother me. It just confused me. I was like, wait, so like, are the goblins not there anymore? Like, right. Yeah, let's just say those are supposed to be goblins. I'm pretty sure. Because this mountain range has always been the home to goblins. Isn't this the Misty Mountains? I believe it is, right? The Mines of Moria? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's connected to the Misty Mountains. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's the same mountain range that Bilbo goes over in The Hobbit, right? So, are you saying that in they made the whole trip that they made in The Hobbit yeah, like they made that same trip. Yeah. It took them like a month or two to get to the mountains for the first time. I don't know. I wouldn't know. I, I don't know. All I know is those mountains are goblin infested. So I think these right. are goblins. But yeah, that fight sequence is sweet with them. Like, it's still one of my favorites. Well, it's they awesome. did such a good job with it because of how quickly they cut shots. They never right. linger on a shot for more than like a second or two. And that, that yeah. makes it feel really frenzied and crazy. Right. And you get these like tiny glimpses here and there of like their gnarled faces and like them oh, like yeah. trying to break in and stuff. The goblins and, like, are horrifying. Well, like throughout the movie, you've just been hearing talk about orcs and goblins and you haven't seen any, any of them yet. And then 
boom, kind kind of like you're along that you're in that there with the hobbits, sort of experiencing seeing right. these things for the first time, and like you can see the look of horror on their faces as they're breaking in, <laughs> whereas the other guys are like ready. They've seen goblins all the time, right. tons of times. Um, but when I remember when when the first one breaks in and eats an arrow to the forehead from Legolas, <laughs> oh, yeah, and then all the hobbits are like, "Oh my gosh, like <laughs> what is this?" But that fight yeah. sequence is awesome. Yeah, I it's awesome seeing the whole fellowship kind of duking it out together because you know later on they get split up and you don't really get that. I chance also ever think again. it's super cool that that he doesn't use music in this opening sequence. It's like there's no music at all. It's just the sounds of like them screaming yeah, and madness. like swords clanging and stuff. And when uh, Aragorn beheads that one, it's just so oh, it's yeah. so visceral and violent. It's like such a cool way to do a fight scene, right? I, I liked seeing Sam just like take it out with his like his pans. Just <laughs> that's something I actually him. thought of too. It's like <laughs> in these movies. Peter Jackson does such a good job of throwing little bits of comedy into really tense moments. Right. That like he can mix emotions and it doesn't come off as ruining the moment at all. Mainly with the hobbits, I feel like that's easier to get away with. Just yeah. them being hobbits in general. Yeah. Yeah. It was really well done. And the cave troll was really cool. It still holds up, honestly. I think the cave yeah, troll looks pretty so good. good. I I mean It's not as honestly, good. As the later movie CG, but it's pretty good. It, yeah, it holds up fine. Actually, been, I actually what, feel like really bad years. for the troll. Yeah, you're seeing that in the movie. Well, because like unlike the it. goblins who are like sentient and just evil, the cave trolls like chained up and he's just kind of being forced to like do everything they want. I right, yeah, I just feel bad for him. But anyway, cave troll does lead to the cool scene with Frodo um, in the Mithril. Yeah, he gets to show off his Mithril. Mithril. Oh, and uh, Um, Gandalf foreshadows that earlier in Moria where he says that Bilbo got a gift from one of the dwarves, a little shirt of Mithril, and it's worth more than his manor at the Shire, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I thought that was cool, and Frodo was just like, Oh, <laughs> when he said that, <laughs> yeah, because like Bilbo had no idea what he was giving him when he gave it to him back in uh, Rivendell. Oh, and we completely skipped one of my favorite quotes in all the movies is Gandalf when he was talking to Frodo. Well, that comes like, back so later. Well... We can reference that there. That comes back later in the movie, at the end. No, no, no. Oh, it does come back. Oh, you're saying yeah, yeah. We can talk about that then. Right, it does come back. Okay, we'll get there. Um, but after that sequence, they start running because there's more goblins coming. And then yeah. you, by this point, you're like super into it. Yeah. Uh, I think this whole like fight chase sequence is like, feels like it's a good like 40 minutes long. It's probably not that long, but it's definitely not. It's probably like 15 minutes. Yeah, it feels <laughs> so long because like so much it's happens. One of my favorites though. And, it's it's, it's kind of similar to the hobbit when the dwarves are running through the goblin caves yeah it, it's kind of that same feeling that i really like so much um but yeah they lead them into the uh or they they finally venture into that big area what was that area called with all the huge pillars like the hundreds and hundreds of pillars i don't they know. get surrounded I've, by he, goblins yeah i've called it the great hall of something 
yeah, it's one of the cities. That, it's so cool. But then that's su such a great place to just be completely swarmed by goblins. Well, I, I thought it was cool how they have the goblins crawling out of the holes in the ceiling, kind of like almost right. like they're like insects or something. Yeah, and you get that one with like the cat giant cat eyes. Yeah, the that makeup work was awesome on yeah, those goblins. It looks, it looks awesome. Uh, but then they're, you think they're about to get clapped by thousands of goblins surrounding them, right? And then everything turns red, and you hear, yeah, you hear the Balrog, and then all the Probably goblins. Probably one of the run. most scary, epic entrances of any villain that you've ever seen in a movie. Gandalf's face of just pure fear and like regret on his face when like the drums are going and you can hear the deep sounds of the Balrog and it like zooms in on his face and he's just like it's a Balrog. He's like this or what does he say? He's like this foe is beyond any of you. Yeah. He said he says it's an ancient of? evil Right, and everyone's age. scared now. Not even just the hobbits. It's just like Legolas is just like, oh my god, <laughs> like, oh, so cool. I guess they keep they just keep running again. Yeah, There's a they were running. It's like a chase sequence where they like are jumping over that step. Right. This is where I first start to find some flaws in the uh, special effects and stuff that I didn't notice before and like where? some things where i'm starting to see the data when if you're when you're watching the uh the step sequence when it's falling and everything there's definitely times where you can see like like especially the time when frodo and aragorn were jumping together and it starts to like fall forward you know and get closer so that they can make the jump mm -hmm. it kind of like crops out and moves forward and like it's really glitchy and you can tell that it was manually done and not like on set yeah i noticed that but like it wasn't it didn't stand out a ton to me it didn't take me away from like the moment but you know it's definitely noticeable yeah um i still love the scene though and i love the scene where the goblins start shooting at them and then legolas immediately just starts firing back and nailing them in the skull every time like such a good shot and then when the balrog finally reveals himself it's really awesome it looks amazing. The smoke effects look so good. The whip is awesome. I like it when Gandalf is, so is cool. like telling him like he's not allowed to pass, and then it gets right. angry and it like like puffs out its chest and like fires up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Gandalf is just oh, yeah. So Gandalf cool. shows off his strength because he can like one v one the Balrog. Power will not avail you. Yeah, we get to see some other yeah. spells too that Gandalf right, uses besides just right. like invisible force powers, <laughs> like the light dome thing yeah. blocking him. But uh, yeah, let's get to when. So he, of course, you shall not pass. We don't need to talk about that for too long. But the greatest line ever. It's like one of the most memorable lines of right. all of Lord of the Rings. And then the Balrog collapses and falls and then it whips him around the leg and pulls him down but then the whip falls off so for a long time in my head i thought the whip was still attached and it just pulls him down right but that's not the case 
he did he Gandalf let himself go and I think yeah. he, he definitely did it on purpose because I think he was like I, I need to stay and make sure this thing dies like I need to well yeah so I actually did some research on that because I was wondering why he didn't just climb back up or also, like he lost his staff and his have someone help him um yeah he lost his magic impulse but that's not why he fell he fell because right. he is a Maiar and his duty is to help the races of of humans and elves and dwarves and hobbits and stuff per, like stop evil like that's his like purpose on the planet and like his his own sense of like morality like he he could not let himself leave knowing that thing was like alive right so he had to he had to fight it essentially like he was like compelled to which is so cool <laughs> so um cool. so yeah he fights that which we get more cool um scenes of in in the next movie but um then you get this a... really cool uh sad music by enya <laughs> which is like really iconic yeah. what a moment if you're watching this movie for the first time um so i feel like gandalf is so cherished it, like he's so cherished by the characters which makes them mm-hmm. him so cherished by the audience so i actually watched an interview with uh j george rr R. martin okay and he's the author of game of thrones yeah who's infamous for killing off all his characters uh but he actually said in this interview that he got the first concept of doing that in his writing from Gandalf dying. Not surprising. Because when he was a kid, he read the books and he was like, oh, these these are awesome. You got to Moria. Like, this is really going. And then the most, like, capable character dies all of a sudden. And you're just like, what? Everyone <laughs> relies on them. And you see them later in, when they meet with the other elves. There were even Galadriel and her... What's that guy's name? Her husband or whatever. That guy was like, our only hope was Gandalf. And he's gone. So, like, what is there now? Like, everyone was, like, relying on Gandalf for everything. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, a huge loss. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, but after that sad sequence, they run into the woods. Gimli has that funny thing where he talks about how he has sharp, keen eyes and great hearing, and then he gets caught off guard immediately. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, now we get to see another side of the elves, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, so you, you get to see that like not all elf civilizations are the same. Right. They don't have the same culture. So like these elves are like and you you get a more of a sense of this in the extended version because you get way more scenes of it but like these elves are almost like kind of like sleazy <laughs> yeah they're like sleazily like like whereas in rivendell they're like really proper and like clearly afraid to insult you <laughs> clearly very cultural and um maybe culture is not the right right word they're, they're very polite. yeah they're very polite Visitors. and dignified and like these ones seem almost like more animalistic in a way well, like yeah it's just like in the hobbit where rivendell just like kind of accepts the dwarves even though they don't necessarily prefer them being there they're still polite and they want to 
be seen by all as like a very uh mature race these elves almost seemed like almost like they were like less good and more just like like straight and neutral because these elves just i feel like they're a little closer to uh to mordor and a little closer to all the danger so i guess they're just more cautious and they're like almost like feral elves kind of (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah they're they're kind of weird and like sleazy and hippie (laughs) hippie yeah a little bit i don't know i thought it was cool we definitely got some extra scenes in the extended edition in this area for sure yeah Uh, like they're glowing like um, like tree houses and stuff yeah and that moment where aragorn is trying to convince uh, yeah thrunduil Mm -hmm. to like let him in thrunduil 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 yeah and uh, I like how one of my favorite parts about this sequence is Gimli goes in like, you have to be careful, Hobbits. There's a elvish witch out here, and then no, by Thrandu- the end, when Thrandu- they Thranduil leave... is Legolas's dad. What? What? Thranduil is Legolas's dad. That's not the guy that was letting them in. Oh, I thought you were saying that character was his dad. No. Like, there is no way that's true. Uh, but like what I was saying, like with uh. When, by the time they leave, Gimli ends up just like being completely in love with Galadriel, <laughs> which I thought was funny. yeah. Well, within seeing her for the first time, he like completely changes his mind. Well, I feel like she's just not just like an elf. Like, I mean, she's important to the elves, but like, I feel like she just serves as an importance to like everyone. Well, she's a like, ring she's bearer. Just different. Yeah, and she has that that dark side to her that's right <laughs> when frodo gets to see the future or like the possible yeah. future so anyway after they oh when they're first meeting galadriel i like when um she's like you guys all need to rest and sleep and then she turns and looks at frodo oh, and yeah. in his mind he hears like welcome ring bear <laughs> yeah super creepy. creepy but that night he he gets like lured down to the mirror uh um, right the mirror pool um, where he looks and sees the Shire being taken over and burning. And she says that like that's potentially something that may come to pass if he fails his mission. And then he is like, oh, well, you have it. Well, yeah. it, I can't blame him for it because he, he's obviously right. enchanted by her. Um, and she like is tempted for a moment and kind of reveals like what she would be like if she took it and she's like i will remain galadriel well and she said the the last line she says she has this monologue where she talks about how she'll be like like all powerful and stuff and instead of a dark lord you'd have a queen right both beautiful and terrible um and then her last line is all all shall love me in despair, <laughs> which I thought was like the most <laughs> oh. ominous thing. Yeah. Um. But then she's like, she calms down, and she, I guess she, she was testing herself to see if she'd yeah take it she or was not. Like I have passed. She was like, I will remain Galadriel. Yeah, and so she plans on going to the Grey Havens. Yeah, like all the other elves. Yeah, to ditch everyone. 
But um, she sends them on their way, and she gives them all gifts, which is all an extended. Not thing. all of it. Um, well, I know when the she daggers... gives Frodo the the thing, that's not extended. That was it, right. But like the daggers. I think to... Gim- like Gimli talking about wanting a piece of her hair and stuff is all extended. I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah, I don't remember that being. Was that not in the original? I don't think so. Um, she also gave Legolas a bow. I never knew that. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Yeah. She doesn't give Boromir anything. <laughs> you notice that? Everyone got a gift except Boromir. And in Aragorn, she was like, you already have a gift that I can't replace. And Boromir has nothing. <laughs> Boromir gets nothing. Well, because she, she like doesn't trust Boromir. Does she ever talk to Bor- Oh, there was, she that, said, there was that extended moment. She told where she Frodo like, that he'll try to take the ring. Right, but like she also... Remember that part where she's like looking at Boromir and he kind of loses it for a second? Oh, yeah. And then Boromir tells Aragorn later that she had like told him like that Gondor is failing and you're failing and stuff. Do you remember that? Oh, shoot. No, I don't. Yeah, and that's why Aragorn... Or that's why Boromir was just kind of losing it with Aragorn in the... In the uh, the woods that they were in before they left. So dang, that happened. <laughs> so I guess she kind of pushed him almost yeah. to like try and take you, the ring. You don't get a gift. <laughs> <laughs> um. After that, they are being chased by the Urukai and everything. Uh, you have that whole thing where Boromir tries Whoa. to take the ring from Frodo. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think we should, before we get to this part, we should talk about, or at least slightly, it's just something I wrote down was we get little nitbits of what's going on in Isengard in between all the fellowship stuff. And you're like, it's slowly starting to turn into like a machine for Urukai. What like started in the beginning in part one, you could see, uh, like this beautiful place with a bunch of trees and green grass and stuff. And by the end, of part two it's been completely demolished and there's like giant underground systems and stuff in isengard and the way they had you know that part where the crows come back and they're flying through Mm -hmm. the tunnels to get the sauron yeah they had filmed that and by they made an actual model of i I remember seeing that yeah and they flew a camera through it right and it's so I thought that was, and then they just added little orcs as like CGI in it. And I thought that looked amazing, and it was really cool going back and seeing that, like having known that. Yeah. yeah anyway, that was going on while the Fellowship was doing their thing. You get an idea of what the Urukai are, and like, I thought Saruman was explaining to the Urukai, like to Lurts. That's the name of that guy. Not a lot of people know. The lead that, Urukai. Or, yeah, that Uruk is Lurts, the one with the bow. Yeah, and uh, he's explaining to them like how orcs first came to be. Um, where they were originally elves that were like tortured and stuff. And, they like, were corrupted by Morgoth. Yeah, right. And so, oh, the, oh that's another Starmar. thing. Back in Moria, they mentioned Morgoth's name in the extended edition. When Gandalf, he says, uh, he said, a beast of Morgoth. Oh, uh, it was either that. him or Legolas that said that, which I thought was super cool. Because uh, oh, Legolas did say that. He said that when he was explaining to Galadriel how 
Gandalf died. Oh, that's right. Maybe it wasn't a Moria then. Yeah. You always, uh, that's the thing I love about these movies is you always learn something new right. or see something yeah. that you didn't see before every time. Yeah. I thought it was cool Saruman explaining like how now he had like perfected the orc into something better. He's well, they're definitely better. Urukai. They're definitely better for a number of Way reasons. Better. Lurtz had like just been born and he held up against Aragorn like really strong <laughs> like well i don't think they really gain that much experience with they're just tough like they don't have a fighting nails. style right right like they don't like gain new new martial arts <laughs> they like they just <laughs> hit stuff really hard yeah so In, i thought that was such a cool i i wish we could have seen more of alerts because i thought he could have been like a really cool villain well, he was. Um, he worked he was. for what he was. The little. I mean, he, yeah. he killed a main character. But anyway, they're getting chased. Um, Boromir tries to steal the ring from Frodo, which right. is a really intense scene. I think it was so well acted after Frodo escapes from him. Yeah. And for like three or four seconds, he like is cursing the hobbits and says that he'll take the right. ring to Sauron and then he falls down and like trips. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden he like realizes what he did. Right. Um yeah. And that was a big story changing moment cuz um that was kind of the moment that Frodo we realized like I can't stay with these people. They're too dangerous. Yeah. I need to leave. And then Aragorn finds him um, and he's like what happened and Frodo tells him Boromir tried to take it. And here you get to see a comparison of the strength of will between Aragorn and Boromir. Right. When Aragorn refuses the ring. And you can see that like he, he truly is like worthy of being an heir to the yeah, city. Was such a good moment when he was like, like Aragorn knows already, like, you know, he needs to leave, but he's just like, I would have gone into Mordor with you. And Frodo's like, I know, but I have to go. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes and then, Aragorn has his epic hero moment of the movie where he turns and holds off, you know, yeah. hundreds of Urukai while Frodo runs off. Yeah. Then we get a Legolas bunch of really cool too. fight sequences where like Gimli and Legolas come in and fight with Aragorn and Boromir um, saves Pippin and Merry after they see Frodo running away. Yeah, he redeems himself. Yeah, he, really cool he defends the two halflings and kills like i don't know like a dozen of them before he gets hit by an arrow and then he keeps going this is one of the coolest sequences in like all of coolest death sequences ever because like they use a lot of slow-mo to great effect in it i thought they did such a good job of showing how hard hitting those arrows are because the sound and like it like (laughs) knocks him back yeah and he keeps going after like and then it takes like three arrows until he's like all right and he kind of kneels down it was so sad seeing mary and pippin just kind of get ripped away they were like ah and they tried to like help him and then they just instantly get picked up yeah run away i mean i i think it's good to show that hobbits are weak yeah but that was very good yeah he um he's about to get executed like point blank yeah, but lords. And then Aragorn jumps in and has a really cool fight sequence 
uh, sequence with him. That's Lurch that's not very nasty. long, but like it's super well choreographed. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, when he like Lurch throws the shield and like pins him to the tree, and then Aragorn uses the knife that was given. Oh, yeah, that to was him. added. That, that was wasn't added. Well, like him receiving. Yeah, the knife he got the knife. Was um, added from Galadriel, right? It was no, it was from the other guy. It was from. Uh... Galadriel's husband or whatever. Oh, that's that right. Guy. When they were on the shore. Yeah. Uh, but he uses that to stab him, and then Lurtz, like, licks it <laughs> and throws yeah, it at him. Rips Fun it fact, out of his leg. When the, act, when the character dressed up as Lurtz through the knife, Aragorn, uh, not Aragorn, Vigo Mortison, who plays Aragorn, actually knocked it out of the yeah. air with his sword it's by sick. accident. Uh, and they kept that as the final take. So that like ting you hear is like him actually hitting the the dagger. Do you think the sound was real too? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> that is just that's that proves that goes to show that like half of the writing in a movie is done like while filming it. Yeah, but Aragorn stab cuts his arm off and stabs him. And Lurtz pulls him in, which is super right. cool. And you yeah you get to see how. Basically, like Lurch robotically animalistic, hard. they are. Well, Urukai are just so tough as nails. Like they are so hard to kill. Yeah, you can see like, yeah. But um, yeah. And then Aragorn really does the fight. sick thing where he whips the sword out and <laughs> cuts his head off. Right. Uh, which is awesome. And then he runs over to Boromir, who's dying, and they get sort of he gets sort of reconciled. Boromir does. And I think this is really powerful because it's like the first time that we get to see in the movies and maybe ever in his life that Aragorn has felt like a, a real sense of like being from Gondor, you know? Right. Because he's always been an outsider. And he's he, he's, he's only way... ever seen the city. He's not even been in it before. Right. And, and on the way to this moment, they him and Boromir would like argue a ton about like yeah. Gondor and how Aragorn doesn't trust Gondor well, and at all. I, I remember Boromir is freaking out as he's dying. He's like, it's over. Like everything's going to fall. And Aragorn looks at him and he's like, I will not let our people fall. And oh, as soon yeah. as Boromir hears our people, he like calms down. And then he realizes that like Aragorn's got it covered. Yeah. And he finally relinquishes the pride of like being the son of the steward and says um, that he would have followed him, and then he calls him his captain and his king, right? Uh, which is Aragorn finally like accepting that that's his duty, kind of hearing yeah. that. Um, and then I also think it's really powerful, and I always do in like when men die in combat, that they like need to be holding their weapon, kind of. Yeah, it's like a pride thing. So Aragorn yeah. hands him his sword, and he like puts him in like a burial pose, kind of, and he he dies like that. Um, so he, despite failing and succumbing to the ring, he died in a really noble way. And they send him off on a boat down the waterfall. Yeah. So the then Aragorn informs them that Frodo's going to be going alone. So they, they decide they're going to go chase down Merry and Pippin, run off into the woods together, and Frodo is left. Uh, and then we can talk about that Gandalf quote you like. 
Uh, yeah, right. So earlier in Moria, Gandalf tells Frodo that, well, Frodo tells Gandalf that, you know, I wish the ring never came to me and stuff. And uh, Gandalf's like, so do all who wish to see such times. but Who live to see such times, I think. Who live to see such times. And basically he goes on to say, like, it's not what you do. And then he says, but that is not for them to decide. All we right. have to do is decide what to do with the time we are given. Right. And I feel like that's just, it's such a good piece of advice for anyone. Like, that's such a, I don't it's know. Just good life advice. Yeah. Right. The, something like, I love about this trilogy and these, these stories is just all of the amazing real life advice that you get. In the, like, yeah. It's just a really cool thing. Well, because, like, every person can relate to, like, having a bad thing happen to them and, like, asking, like, why did this happen to me? Like, what's the point of this? And, like, hearing that you don't get to decide, like, what happens to you, but you do get to decide, like, what you do with the time you have and, like, how you react how to you it. Respond. Yeah. And Frodo kind of has that moment of despair for a second, and then he like remembers Gandalf's quote, and he just hops in the boat and is all motivated, and he gets going. And yeah, I thought that was such a good well because he's growing up, like he's right. his character. He's used to this, the soft fields of the Shire, and like not having any worries, and like he's, he ha he has to grow up. Right, and he's about to leave like by himself <laughs> to <Yeah>. go <laughs> with like no idea how and to then get there. Sam, loyal Sam shows up and almost drowns himself <laughs> trying to get to Frodo. Right. Uh, and something I noticed this time is when Frodo reaches in to pick Sam up out of the water, it like perfectly mirrors how Frodo or her, how uh, Sam reaches down and saves Frodo when he's about to fall into yeah uh, the pit of lava in Mountain Doom. Yeah. That's in the right, last yeah. movie. So it's, it's cool. Like it comes full circle later, but he saves Sam. Um, and you get, you've already gotten a sense of loyalty from Sam in the movie, but like this really cements that and you get continue to get that throughout the whole series. Right. Which is why Sam is like a lot of people's favorite character. And it's why the Lord of the Rings is considered by a lot of people is like a really good brotherhood movie or a really good brotherhood story. Yeah. Um, mainly because of them too. So that was our part two episode of our six part mini series. And we'll be back with disc one of the two towers. Uh, thank you all for listening and we'll catch you next time. See ya.